So I live in New York now. And if you've been a longtime listener of the Better Leaders, Better Schools podcast, you know that I had a magical, beautiful experience living over in Europe, uh, Belgium, Netherlands, and then Scotland in the UK for about three and a half years. Well, I'll never forget uh, going to Deconic. Uh, I think that it might mean the hand. Um, I, I, I have to brush up on my Dutch. But I do re- remember that it was a lovely Belgian beer, triple, I think. And they had a brewery uh, in Antwerp where we lived. And so there we are uh, enjoying some great food, some wonderful drinks. And at some point had to make a rest break. So I head up to the uh, restroom and I'm there, finish up, turn around and there's a big sink where you can wash your hand. It's like a huge circle. So like multiple people, right? All at the same place. And I look up and there's what I observed to be a, a woman. And I'm thinking, oh, did I walk in potentially the wrong restroom? Well, no, that's just kind of how things are in Europe. And although it was shocking at first, uh, that became just usual, normal to me. It wasn't a big deal. Life didn't end. Nobody was attacked. Like That's just how they did it, probably for efficiency of space or maybe in terms of how they think about people in a more progressive lens. But I'm excited for today's conversation because uh, I'm joined by Dr. Jen O'Ryan, who's the founder of Double Tall Consulting. And she's an expert when it comes to topics like inclusion and diversity and really around uh, ideas uh, concerning our LGBTQ plus kids. And I know a lot of schools uh, are thinking about, you know, how do we how do we discuss students from these communities? And for example, if a kid is transitioning and that kind of thing, uh, you might not have all the tools to have those conversations with your community, at least until now. So Dr. Orion gives us a lot of practical tips on how to spark those conversations, uh, how to really create those welcoming spaces, how to see and hear, you know, everyone in your community. And uh, I really appreciate, you know, the conversation we had. So enjoy the the talk, uh, pick up her book. Hey, it's Daniel, and thanks for listening to the Better Leaders, Better Schools podcast, a show for you, a ruckus maker, that out-of-the-box thinker and leader making change happen in education. And we'll be right back with our main conversation right after a few short messages from our show sponsors. Take the next step in your professional development with Harvard's Certificate in School Management and Leadership. Learn from Harvard Business and Education School faculty while you collaborate with a global network of fellow school leaders. Apply now for our June and July cohorts at betterleadersbetterschools.com forward slash Harvard. That's betterleadersbetterschools.com forward slash Harvard. Are you automatically tracking online student participation data during COVID? Innovative school leaders across the country have started tracking online student participation using TeachFX because it's one of the most powerful ways to improve student outcomes during COVID, especially for English learners and students of color. Learn more about TeachFX and get a special offer at teachfx.com forward slash BLBS. That's teachfx.com forward slash BLBS. All students have an opportunity to succeed with Organized Binder, 
who equips educators with a resource to provide stable and consistent learning, whether that's in a distance, hybrid, or traditional educational setting. Learn more at OrganizeBinder.com. Hey there, Ruckus Maker. I am joined today by Dr. Jen O'Ryan, the founder of Double Tall Consulting, specializing in inclusion and diversity. Leveraging two decades of experience in change management and organizational behavior, she understands the challenges leaders can face in developing a culture of inclusiveness for employees, clients, and consumers. She's also the author of Inclusive as, you know what, a field guide for accidental diversity experts designed for anyone thinking about inclusion and diversity. This book explains how to cultivate a workplace more welcoming for LGBTQ plus individuals and for everyone else. Dr. Orion, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm, I'm so excited to be here. I'm excited because, as I mentioned, you know, I, I, I am definitely uh, curious, you know, about your expertise and a learner. So if nothing else, this is just, you know, I'm going to benefit and thank you for spending some time with me. But I know the ruckus maker listening is going to get so much value from your expertise as well. The first, um, I guess the first question or, or where I'd like to start, uh, I remember you sharing with me a story where you were speaking in a room full of educators and you were talking about inclusion and making spaces safe. And a woman stood up and said, I'm a school nurse and we have this one gay kid in our high school. And so can you take us to that moment? Yeah, yeah. And it was such a fantastic question because the, the nurse was really hoping to um, find ways to make make the environment more safe, make the student more comfortable and and really signal that that they got it and that they were they were a safe place to land. And in asking the question the way that she did, it was it was that there's one gay student. And I, I gave the information that she'd asked and then I used that as a teachable moment to say, OK, I'm not a statistician, but. I am absolutely confident you just don't have one LGBTQ plus student in your <laughs> in your school of 1200 people. Um, and that was a really good way to really open eyes and have some epiphanies around. It's not just the observable traits that are typically based in stereotypes. Um, it's, you know, this could have been the only kid who was out or the only kid who was perceived to be gay. And so it was a lot of, um, you know, a lot of kids aren't ready to come out yet. And they still might be trying to figure out what it is that they actually are experiencing and who they are in the world. And so just using modeling behavior and things like that, not just for the one kid, but for all the kids. Hmm. Well, so, you know, I get the idea of uh, uh, what you can observe. And you said a lot of times it's based on on stereotypes. And so if we're going to change, I guess, the lens in which we uh, uh, view students and, and um, want to create these inclusive environments, you know, what are some ways we can uh, find out who exists, I guess, within our community to make sure that we're, we're serving them at a high level and what their needs are? Yeah. Yeah. So, so my recommendation is always just make sure that the, that the policies and the behaviors and the programming that you have is really designed for students of a multitude of ways of being. Mm-hmm. Um, whether that's related to their attraction or their gender or their gender expression, um, or their religion. It really just makes sure that there's an understanding of, does this support all of our students? Uh, because we're never also just one thing, right? We talk about identities, yeah. they're silos, and there's so much intersectionality, and there's absolutely no way until you've heard somebody's story uh, to know who they are in the world. And so just making sure that it's 
with one, don't make assumptions about anybody's <laughs> attraction or gender, um, the same way that you wouldn't make assumptions about anything else about them. And, and just make sure that it is really inclusive and available for them should they want to come out or should they decide that they want to take advantage of a, of a resource or an opportunity. Right. I like that you focused on um, hearing people's stories. I'm wondering if you have any uh, strategy or tactics that school leaders listening could use to collect and hear uh, those stories of their community. Yeah, a lot of it often is just it's it's that gaining that trust and confidence, because especially in schools, you can have safe space stickers, you can have things like, you know, gay straight alliances. And, and it's the perception that it's a safe place to be. But it's really those daily interactions between humans that make it a safe place to be. And so just consistently demonstrating that you're safe, you get it, evaluating the language that you're using. Are you putting a lot of gender into your examples or yeah, the materials that you use in class? And take a step back and look at the materials and see, are these images really representative? Do we really have a lot of visibility about all the different ways of being? And the language and the images have a huge contribution to how we interpret ourselves in the world and who we want to be more close to, who we want to be more vulnerable and, and share those stories. And so honestly, it's it's having that foundation and just making sure that people know if they are so inclined, that it's a safe place to share their stories. And as those stories are being shared, also keep an eye on what else is happening in the room and, and making sure that if there is some kind of question or another experience that needs to be evaluated, that that's also addressed at the same time. And it, it's just being really mindful and intentional about the space that you create and the conversations that you have. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, the idea of stories too. So I'm definitely for creating safe spaces uh, in creating uh, communities where everybody is is championed and their worth is uh, valued, right? And, and they're seen and they're heard. And within my leadership community, uh, we have this, this time called the hot seat where somebody presents a challenge. And I want to share sort of a challenge because I'd, I'd love to hear your take on it. I'm not going to give up too much information in terms of where the place is located. Uh, it's on the West Coast. And it's it's a school that is a, a faith-based school. And it tends to be more conservative, even though it's in a what I, what I see as a more progressive area, right? Now, the school, even though it's uh, faith-based in, in the assumption I usually have with faith-based, you know, places is that they're more conservative in their thinking. Uh, this one's actually quite progressive and open-minded uh, and welcoming of the different ways um, people identify and how they show up. Okay. Uh, but the community isn't necessarily like that. Right. And so I'm, I'm just wondering, like, since this is your expertise, when we have a heart to create these places where everybody is seen, heard, and valued, and then there's another community, part of a school, where they feel like maybe they're losing something or maybe their principles are being violated. I, I, I think I see you nodding, so I think you're understanding my story. I'm just wondering, what, to, like, what, do, you, what do you do? You know, how would you maybe approach it? It's, it's so complicated because especially in communities that that they're, I don't want to say isolated, but we tend to surround ourselves with people who are like us and think like us. Um, just it's a natural human tendency. And so it, it can be really difficult for communities to to understand that this isn't an erasure and this isn't this isn't an affront to their beliefs. You know, I am wholeheartedly supportive of, of people's beliefs. I feel that that's a really important part of the human experience. But it 
does also come along with understanding how to bring other people along in ways that are healthy. And so if you're, we're not asking people to change their beliefs. We're asking them to understand that there are other ways of being. And so an example like the LGBTQ population, if somebody has um, deeply held religious beliefs about what it means to be queer and what it means to walk through the world as a queer person, that's, that's their beliefs. But it can't extend to the place that it's harmful or damaging to other people or damaging to the team or damaging to the school system. So that's kind of where I draw that line. And a lot of it, honestly, is sitting down and having conversations with people in a very real way and listening to, to their thoughts and their concerns and what it is they're struggling with, because it's, it's very valid that they are feeling a certain way. It's just a matter of how do we find that common ground and have the conversation to bring them along to see that this is also, you need to recognize somebody's humanity and have that respect and dignity and trust. I love that last line uh, in terms of seeing other people's humanity, right? And, and to be able to have that dignity and trust there. You know, I talk, I hear a lot of leaders talking about bringing down the temperature and that kind of thing. And the last question I have, at least around this part of the topic, which is sort of self-serving for, you know, I'm sure the leader who uh, is in our community is listening to this show as well. But these parents were really, they were, they were pissed. I mean, right. Like the ones who felt like um, they were losing something in some part of their identity. So I'm all for like having conversations, learning, listening, hearing the stories do you have any strategy or help for the ruckus maker listening in terms of how do you engage in those conversations when the, the emotions are so high, right? Yeah. And that is, that is definitely, that is definitely my sweet spot is the ruckus makers. Um, that's, yeah. that's, that's the intended audience for the reason that I wrote the book is because there's so many people out there that individually can make a huge difference and they have that spark inside and they want to make the world a better place. And it's like the bystander effect is very real. How do you actually interrupt that in a way that's safe and in a way that doesn't put somebody in harm. And so my my guidance to the ruckus makers out there is to really have a good understanding of where you are in the environment. So if it's if you're in a classroom or you're in a school and there's a kid who's being excluded, like understand what that kid needs in that moment hmm. and then ask how you can support them. Because the difficult thing is that, you know, as parents and as adults, oftentimes leaders, we want to um, we want to just champion and, and go, you know, take down the people who are causing this harm. But that actually might cause more harm right. to the individual that we're trying to support. Right. And so oftentimes I there is a place for cooling down the temperature, but there's also a place where we have to have real conversations around. You cannot continue to damage this person. Um, you cannot continue to exclude, you know, these individuals. And I've had conversations where, you know, especially around bathroom access and facility access, where I've got one set of parents of a child who are very much in fear of that child being in a locker room or bathroom with a trans kid and the parents of the trans kid saying, we just want our kid to be able to go to the bathroom. (laughs) And, and both of those can be very, very heated and very, very emotionally charged. But it's that peeling back of what are we actually trying to solve here? And in getting that parent through that, that their fears are not really grounded in research. If you're going to be part of this collective, then you need to, you need to understand the roles, of dignity and respect and trust. Yeah, that's good. And oftentimes, I mean, we also look at, we also look at people who are resistant as like this very far end of a, a spectrum and the people who are champions very, you know, the ruckus makers are at the other end. At, but most people are kind of in the middle somewhere. And oftentimes what I find is that when you're talking to somebody with a different belief system, they just have, for whatever reason, maybe never had to think about it. Hmm. And so sitting down and just humanizing the issue 
is extraordinarily effective. Yeah. Well, in the connected dots, I heard you say too, you know, a lot of times we isolate ourselves or, or we uh, surround ourselves with people with similar beliefs, right? So that would, uh, uh, I guess, create sort of blind spots or limit our circles of competence and exposure and understanding of these uh, issues. So appreciate you bringing that up. And I spent a lot of time in Seattle and in the West Coast Corridor. And I, I naturally talk to a lot of people who work in you know, schools and organizations and do a lot of inclusion work. And so when I, when I travel, oftentimes it's very striking to hear how other people perceive that work. And it's very, it's very real perception for them. And my immediate reaction is, what are you talking about? How do you not see that this is important for human rights and human well-being? And I have to get past that first instinct and listen and have that, yep. you know, discussion and, and find out why they feel that way and, and share how I feel like that. And just as long as people are open to new information, then, yeah. then that's where we get the good work done. So why do you have to get past that first story you, you tell yourself? You know, is it is it because uh, it shuts you down that you stop listening? Or, or I, I don't know, I don't want to put in words in your mouth. I'm just curious for you, Dr. Orion, like why do you <laughs> have to, you know, stop that? Uh, for me, I have to, for me, I have to. Yeah, for me, I have to get over that because it's um, it, it shuts down the conversation. Like nobody, nobody wants to be told, especially by a complete stranger, that they're everything they know is wrong, and everything they believed is wrong. And it, it goes back to like if your grandma told you to wait thirty minutes before swimming so, after, yeah, you're like, well, I'm a better, I'm a better person because I followed that advice. And then all yeah. of a sudden, somebody from Seattle shows up at your workplace and says that's wrong you're going to dig in your heels and say, well, uh, I'm going to justify why it's right. That's how we're wired. We got to protect yeah. the ego and we want to keep things the same. And so if you come at it from a, well, tell me more about that. That is opening the conversation. And that's where you can really bring people along to see things differently. And oftentimes, I mean, it's, it's changing my perception as well. We can't have an experience together and not think about things differently. Like I was working with a, a colleague in a very rural part of Missouri and it never occurred to me that they didn't have internet connection. Hmm. And I was like, no, there's some places that they have a landline <laughs> attached to the wall. And that's, that's how they get the communication. I'm like I'm so outside of that reality that it never occurred to me. And so, yeah, it's, it's, we, we, we take and learn from each other all the time. Right. Right. So you brought up uh, bathrooms and in, in gender identity. And I'm curious uh, how the ruckus maker listening might approach that discussion. Uh, if that's something that they're, uh, thinking about within their schools. Yeah. How do they approach that discussion with parents? There's, there's a couple of different ways. And oftentimes it's, it's, um, it's peeling back the fear. So if we're looking at, they're afraid that something will happen or they're afraid of generalization here. Uh, they're afraid of uh, predatory heterosexual men going into the bathrooms and, and there are ways to prevent that. Um, and it also then sparks the question, look at how many things we do in our lives as humans to prevent ourselves from being exposed to predatory men instead of addressing the predatory men as a problem and correcting from that. But, but oftentimes it's, it's, they really, they have a misconception about why, what a child is experiencing in their, in their gender and figuring that out. Um, the ruckus makers, I would, I would caution them to educate themselves, look at the research. Journal of American Medicine uh, Pediatrics has done some really good work around this and find ways that you can explain to parents what it means and what it doesn't mean. Because we spend so much of our lives um, protecting our kids and we want to insulate them and make sure that they're safe and, and, and we're wired for that. But 
if it's not anything that's really based in in research or reality, educate yourself and then help use that to educate others. And then actually bring people along. Once you once you have these conversations with people who are ambivalent and make them champions and, and get them to talk to their peers and communicate that way. And oftentimes if, if you can peel it back from a fear-based to a rational base, it, it's you're in. The one thing I would caution ruckus makers though, especially when you're dealing with kids in school and I, middle school is such a tumultuous awful time for everybody Uh, yeah right there's a there's also a lot of preconceptions that this is a phase that that gender fluidity or non-binary gender is um you know something that the millennials made up and something is new and it's actually not new and if you look at the science and you look at the history it's been around forever Mm -hmm. and so what i would caution the records make us to is make sure that they're not asking the questions or allowing questions to be asked around is it a phase so if somebody is identifying as gay and then they're identifying as bi or they're identifying as non-binary and then, you know, they're, they're exploring what it is they're experiencing and finding ways to describe it. And that, mm-hmm. that can be an evolutionary process. So not necessarily a phase, but a process of figuring out how to articulate what I'm feeling. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. that can be really difficult for adults to kind of understand how deeply ingrained this is in the kiddo. And also understand that there is a lot of fluidity around it. Sure. Personally, I don't see it as a as a phase. Uh, I hear what you're saying, though. Um, and something new from this conversation that I just learned, I, I, I believe you said there's evidence and stories uh, from history around gender identity and fluidity. Did I did I catch that right? Yes, actually, it's it's interesting because gender really is a social construct. Um, sure. and so, uh, like race, huh? Exactly. Exactly. Yes. We could do an entire hour on that. Um, (laughs) But, but uh, Native Americans, first families, uh, they have the, they have a two spirit and that is the embodiment of not just male or female, not just a masculine or feminine, but, but a, a a combined. Hmm. Um, and, And many, many cultures have the same or similar um, and just fantastic once you get into that exploration of how other cultures experience gender. Uh, it really is very eye-opening. It's not just biology is not as tidy as <laughs> XX and XY. It just, it's not. You gotcha. Know I mean? Right, right. Well, I'm, I'm loving this uh, conversation, Jen, and um, we'll continue it in, in just a second. But we're going to pause here just for a moment for a short message from our show sponsors. Take the next step in your professional development with Harvard's online certificate in school management and leadership. Learn from Harvard faculty without leaving your home. Grow your network with fellow school leaders from around the world as you collaborate in case studies of leaders in education and business. Apply now for our June and July cohorts at betterleadersbetterschools.com forward slash Harvard. That's betterleadersbetterschools.com forward slash Harvard. Better Leaders, Better Schools is brought to you by school leaders like Principal Gutierrez using TeachFX. Special populations benefit the most from verbally engaging in class, but get far fewer opportunities to do so than their peers, especially in virtual classes. TeachFX measures verbal engagement automatically in virtual or in-person classes to help schools and teachers address these issues of equity during covid Learn more and get a special offer from Better Leaders, Better Schools listeners at teachfx.com forward slash BLBS. 
That's teachfx.com forward slash BLBS. Today's show is brought to you by Organized Binder. Organized Binder develops the skills and habits all students need for success. During these uncertain times of distance learning and hybrid education settings, Organized Binder equips educators with a resource to provide stable and consistent learning routines so that all students have an opportunity to succeed, whether at home or in the classroom. Learn more at OrganizedBinder.com. Hey, and we're back with Dr. Jen O'Ryan, the founder of Double Tall Consulting and author of Inclusive as, you know what, a field guide for accidental diversity experts. And thank you, Jen, for being on the show. I'm, I'm learning so much from you already, and we've only, you know, talked for half the time. Something that, that I'd love to hear about, um, I made a note that you have some mental hacks for your brain if a student is transitioning. I think that'd be very helpful for the ruckus maker listening. Oh, yes. Fantastic. Because that is one thing I, I get questions about quite a bit is um, if you have a student who's transitioning and most educators and people in the school system are familiar with the cycle, but a large majority of kids who decide to transition do it at the beginning of the school year hmm. or when they come back from winter break in January. And the reason for that is because they, they might be figuring out the, you know, getting, getting, uh, internalizing the, the change and, you know, getting really comfortable with it and getting comfortable talking about it. So it's not uncommon at all to have kids come back in September with, this is my name. These are my pronouns. This is who I am. So to the larger question, it is absolutely challenging to, to rewire our brains to this name and, and pronoun set when we're so used to looking at the human and just all of a sudden, you know, it's, it's this. Right. A really good way around that is, especially if you're referring back to the child or the student in in past, in memory, is looking at an image of the kiddo. If you've got a yearbook picture, you've got a school ID or something, looking at the picture and actually saying it out loud, uh, the name and the pronouns, because that creates new patterns in your brain. And so when you do, they raise their hand and you call on them, it will go to the to the correct name and pronouns. Yeah, that's good. Um, it's something that just a small thing. I learned this in the Alt MBA where uh, where I coach sometimes um, in the uh, identity and, and use of pronouns was newer to me about almost two years ago. I never heard heard of it, and then I we started talking as a coaching community why it's important to use them and why they're important in the workplace and that kind of thing. So you can see that you know in my Zoom it says Danny Bauer. My pronouns are he and him. Uh, but it's just a small thing like that to say, hey, you know, I see you, hear you, you're safe to share yours. And uh, so I, I get that with um, referring to your students and having it there for you and uh, rewiring your brain in that way, because we're so used to probably just acting on those assumptions and, and what we can only observe. Right. And uh, I guess how we've been brought up or something like that. So appreciate you sharing that. Any other tips, you know, regarding um, the ruckus maker or maybe a teacher listening in, in sparking these conversations? You know, I, I heard you say here in the stories, uh, not allowing a discussion around if it's a phase or not, but anything else? I don't know if you have scripts or, or any other just sort of helpful ideas and like how to bring this up. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And uh, one question that I get frequently from educators is how do they bring other teachers along who might not be there Right, or what right. if you aren't down with the pronouns who don't want to learn new things. And it, it's just like any other industry. It, if you're going to have innovation and you're going to have things that change and improve, there will be new things to learn. 
and our brains don't want to do that. So it, it is small things like challenging each other. Like if somebody's struggling with the name and a pronoun, call each other out when they use the incorrect one. And, and that's a really good reminder. Um, also signaling, as you said, you've got the pronouns in, in the Zoom and that does a couple things. It shows people that you understand that this is important. And it also can spark questions about well, what is that? I've not seen it before. Tell me about that. Um, it's it's important, and it, you've cut you touched on a couple of different things that I really wanted to bring up again. Is is that okay. I see you and I hear you, yeah. and and reinforcing that because if you look somebody in the eye and you generally see them for who they are, that's that's tapping into a very human need that we need. We we all want to be seen and valued as ourselves, and as who we really are. And so creating space for people to share their stories enhances that quite a bit. And the one thing that I really want to emphasize, especially with with the ruckus makers in this industry, is you are uniquely positioned to see kids over a long period of their development. And so if you have a kid in the sixth grade and you see them in the seventh and eighth grade, you can see if they are starting to struggle if they might be being bullied at home, peers, in the community, there's all different ways. And you have that that opportunity to be the one person that can change the trajectory of their life. And I know that sounds hyperbolic, <laughs> but research substantiates that. That yeah. they have one, supporting per- one supportive person in their circle who sees them, that can make the difference between you know healthy development later in life or potential risk for negative outcomes. And so it's that making sure that you see them and making sure that they know that they are seen and valued. And don't expect that you have to be the expert on everything. You don't have to know every pronoun. You don't have to know every every orientation or attraction because they're evolving. But it's show up as. Show up as that person who is there. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Any ideas or uh, helpful feedback when you, when you put your foot in your mouth, right? Or like, ah, I messed it up. I didn't want it to do that way. Yeah, so yep. anything, anything helpful for us there? Yes. One, we... We we are going to mess it up. We're going to get wrong. I screw things up all the time. I um <laughs> I actually it was in the airport in the before times, and I think I, I told you about this. Um, there was somebody in front of me at TSA, and something fell out of their bag, and I immediately went up to them and said, "Oh, ma'am, you dropped your lotion." And it's like, "Ma'am, I don't know. That's I don't know their gender. I don't." And I'm making assumptions. And so, um, we the best way when you trip up or if you're called out, or if somebody says, hey, I, this didn't land with me very well, is just take a breath, take a moment, and just process it. Because the first thing we're going to want to do is defend why we did it, or right. explain why we did it, or diminish it, or it wasn't really that bad, or I had a bad day. Yeah. That makes it about us, and we need to make it about this other person. And so I always, especially with the pronouns or the name, um, apologize immediately, don't qualify it. And actually, it's good sometimes, depending on the relationship you have, to say thank you for reminding me and I'm going to do better. And then get out the picture, practice in your car, say it out loud and actually get better. Right. And then absolutely don't belabor the point because it makes it even more difficult for that person. So just apology, I'm going to do better and then do better and then move on. Right. Got it. Well, Jen, if you could put a message on all school marquees around the world for one day, what would your message read? Uh, we're, we're all going through it. Be kind. Mm-hmm. We're all going through it. And then streaming after that would be, remember there are other ways of being, because if we can implant that into our brains as a mantra, when we're walking through the world, everybody's going through something. You have no idea. There are different ways of being and just be kind. Right. Right. 
And if you were building a school from the ground up, you didn't have any limitations, just your imagination. How would you build your dream school and what would be the top three priorities? I actually thought about this for quite a while because I have a really interesting imagination. Um, I, I would actually <laughs> have um, schools that were structured um, in communities, but with almost like a like a TARDIS or a time portal or yeah, okay, something right where you could actually drop kids into uh, different school environments in different mm-hmm. countries and different regions and actually have conversations with people that, you know, you would probably otherwise never meet because I I think that travel and that exposure just is so illuminating to, you know, we we tend to think of ourselves as the baseline for normal, like what we do is normal and what our, how our culture is organized is normal. And if we expose ourselves very young ages to different languages and different people and different cultures and different styles, it's fantastic. It's, it's, it's mind blowing, especially at that very young two, three, four and five year olds. That's when they're just soaking everything up like little sponges. And then I would also think it would be fantastic to have future us come back and tell us uh, how things are, how things are going and what we should focus on. Yeah. I like how you're playing with time there. So that's, that's quite interesting. I haven't had that as an answer yet. So I want to thank you for it. Well, uh, Jen, you know, you've been a wonderful guest on the show. Thank you so much for being a part of the better leaders, better schools podcast of everything we talked about today. What's the one thing you want a ruckus maker to remember? Never underestimate the potential that you have as an individual to create change, not just in your school and in your culture, but also in one person's life. Like we all have teachers, we all have educators that we just, there was one teacher that made a difference for us and we can't go back and thank them. But, um, but just know that you're making a difference in kids' lives and you'll probably never, never know the, the extent to which you did. Thanks for listening to the Better Leaders, Better Schools podcast, Ruckus Maker. If you have a question or would like to connect, my email, daniel at betterleadersbetterschools.com or hit me up on Twitter at Alien Earbud. If the Better Leaders, Better Schools podcast is helping you grow as a school leader, then please help us serve more ruckus makers like you. You can subscribe, leave an honest rating and review, or share on social media with your biggest takeaway from the episode. Extra credit for tagging me on Twitter at Alien Earbud and using the hashtag BLBS. Level up your leadership at betterleadersbetterschools.com and talk to you next time. Until then, class dismissed. Mm-hmm.